I'd like you to get someone's name or face in your mind. And the person that I want you to think about is the person that you believe more than any other embodies what being a follower of Jesus Christ is. I want you to think about a grandmother, maybe a, a co-worker, someone in this church. I want you to think about the person that more than any other epitomizes what being a devoted follower of Jesus is. All right, do you have someone in your mind? All right, good. Now I want you to get someone else in your mind. Either picture this person's name or face. I'd like you to think about someone that if you were saying, man, when it comes to Christianity, that person's got a lot of growing up to do. Think about someone that you say, man, there's some immaturity there. There's some, there's some distance between where that person is and where he or she ought to be. Do you have someone in your mind? Is that person you? No matter where any of us is in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we always have more growing to do. There's not a person in this room, whoever, whoever is the strongest follower, follower of Jesus Christ in this room is, that person has more growing to do. God's, God is, isn't finished with that person. God still is teaching new lessons, writing new chapters, uh, leading new steps. Each one of us has more growing to do. And from now until nearly the end of October, we're going to be looking at this series of pressing on, next steps for moving forward, because that series applies to every single one of us. There isn't anyone here that doesn't have next steps to take to become more the person that Jesus wants us to be. And so we're going to look at various areas in which we can move forward, but this morning I want us to look at a general message that will sort of launch us into what we're going to cover. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 14. Earlier in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has done what is one of the only two miracles recorded in all four of the Gospels. Only Matthew, Mark, Luke, I'm, I'm sorry, only two miracles are recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, there are some miracles that, that Jesus performed that only Matthew recorded. There are some that, that only John recorded. There are, there are various little miracles that maybe Matthew, Luke, and John recorded, but there are only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. One of them is the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he bursts forth, burst forth forth from the tomb on the very first Easter Sunday morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record that event for us. But the only other miracle that all four Gospels record is the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all report that Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish. John's the only one who mentions that Jesus got the food from a little boy. But all three of the other gospel writers record that Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he broke it up and distributed it and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And so that, that event is the context for, for what we're going to read together today. Jesus had just completed feeding the 5,000. 
Then in verse 22, the Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. That The crowds are, are the 5,000 that Jesus fed with the loaves and fishes. Verse 23 says, After dismissing the crowds, he went up the, on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. The, uh, some of the other gospels say it's probably somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning, right when the time the Mississippi State game finished last night. Verse 26 says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? One of the characteristics of God's word that I really love is that it teaches on multiple levels. There are passages that contain one primary lesson, and you pull that and you say, yes, I understand that, but when you start digging through it a little bit, you see, you know what, there are some other principles here. Now, the main point of this passage, I think, is that even in our stormy times, Jesus is always there to save us. I think that that lesson is, is sort of the main idea that comes from this passage. But the beauty of the Holy Spirit at work inspiring God's people to write these words enabled us, enabled them to include some lessons that I think we can pull that are sort of some secondary lessons. And I think that Peter's walking on the water is something that speaks to how we should follow Jesus in faith and how we can keep taking new steps regardless of where we are in our journeys with him. I like to remind you every now and then, I like to remind myself every now and then, that the principles that I'm going to talk about today only apply to people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. The Bible isn't a self-help book. The Bible isn't a book that just a random person can take and start saying, well, I'm going to begin living this way. Only people who have yielded themselves to Jesus who have confessed their sins, repented of them, and allowed Jesus to forgive them and fill them with power through the Holy Spirit can put these principles into practice. And so I'm, I'm giving these principles to those of us who know Jesus Christ, but at the same time make the invitation and the appeal that any person who says, well, I am not a follower, you can be today and can begin putting these principles in and, and apply them into your own life, into our own lives. So here in this passage, I want us to spotlight Peter and think about his actions here in this passage and how they serve as a catalyst for our pressing forward and moving on in, in our faith. First, I want you to see that Peter wasn't satisfied where he was. 
Now, the situation on the lake that night wasn't a good situation. Palestine weather can, can be somewhat like our weather. The, the night can be perfectly clear, stars shining, but then the atmospheric conditions can change and all of a sudden thunderstorms can begin. And so when the disciples began rowing from one side of the lake to the other, perhaps they thought that their passage was going to be, going to be smooth. In fact, you know, during the, during the feeding of the 5,000, there was no indication of we need to hurry these people along, a storm system is, is moving in. In fact, you might remember the disciples told Jesus, Jesus, it's getting late in the day. These people are going to have to get home before dark because I know they're, they're getting hungry. They've been listening to you teach all day. Jesus did not say, you know what, that's a good idea because bad weather's coming in. And so the disciples started rowing across the lake and perhaps thought this was, would be an evening just like every other evening. But as they began rowing, all of a sudden, the weather did change. And the wind began rocking the boat back and forth. The heavy rain began to fall and, and caused the boat to be tossed from side to side. And so where all of the disciples were in that particular time wasn't a pleasant situation. They already were fearful knowing that many sailors... Many people in boats had lost their lives in such similar occasions, such similar circumstances. To make matters worse, they looked across the water and they saw this ghostly figure walking on top of the water and they became even more fearful thinking, well, even with the, with the weather that is against us, now the spirits are coming toward us. And in that situation, Peter was not satisfied to be in that stormy boat in difficult conditions. And Jesus spoke to the disciples and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to get out of this boat where the rest of the disciples are and to start walking to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Peter wasn't satisfied where he was. That's one of the dangers that you and I face in our, really in all of life. Complacency is an enemy of faith. Settling into the same old, same old erodes our passion for Jesus. But it isn't just our faith. I mean, complacency happens in marriages. People who are passionately, deeply in love for each other become strangers who are just sharing the same house. Really, they become nothing more than roommates who have joint bank accounts and they pay bills together. And it isn't because they hate each other. Complacency just set in. Complacency happens in our work. We begin a new job and then all of a sudden it becomes drudgery and we, we dread going to work. Complacency can set in with New Year's resolutions. We begin the new year thinking, God, this is really going to be the year, but then by mid-February or so, we don't even remember what we said we were going to do. A pastor from Chicago wrote a book called Holy Discontent. And he said in the book, the main point of the book is that each of us, in order to to continue growing in our relationships with Jesus Christ needs something of a holy discontent that pushes us onward, that keeps drawing us forward, 
that says, I, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to keep going. The entire time that I was growing up in West Point, we had dogs in our backyard. Now, I never asked for a pet. Not because I don't love animals. I do like animals, and dogs are my favorite animal. But I never asked for a pet because I knew pets meant responsibility. And after school, I did not want to have to take care of pets. I had, I had activities to do. I had women to see. They never would leave me alone. And so there were always other things that I wanted to do, but we constantly, because my dad and brother could not get by without, without having pets in the backyard, we always had dogs back there. Now, at this particular time that I'm going to tell you about, we had three dogs. One of the dogs was a dog we found on the side of the road and felt sorry for him. We advertised, hey, is this, anybody's, is this anybody's little puppy? We found him. Come get him. But nobody ever did. And I'll tell you how we gave him his name. On my dad's side of the family, there are seven grandchildren, all boys. And my grandfather used to gripe, seven grandsons. Seven grandsons, and not one named after me, not one named Sam. When we got that puppy, we took him to our grandparents' house, said, His name is Sam, looks just like you. And so we named him Sam, and then we picked up somewhere, we picked up a Dalmatian. Now, you tell me, what do you think we named him? Spot. The creative permitter juices were flowing. So we named him Spot, but then my brother, for some reason, really, really wanted a Cocker Spaniel. And so we, we got one, and he had to take care of himself too, Molly. And so we, we got this Cocker Spaniel, and, and Alan named him Lucky. And so one afternoon, I came in from... Uh, school and walked out to the back, played with the dogs a little bit, got their food ready, and then went inside. A few minutes later, not our next door neighbor, but the neighbor next to the Langfords called, Miss Kittrell called and said, hey, Gary, one of your dogs is in the front yard. And I said, I am so sorry. She said, no, 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 I'm not upset. I just want you to know that he's out. And so I walked up and Lucky had gotten out the little Cocker Spaniel. And so I walked up there and picked him up and took him to the backyard. And this time I made sure to push the latch on the, chain, on the gate of the chain link fence down. I thought that I had closed it before and it was closed, but I thought, well, maybe I didn't shut the gate all of the way. A few minutes later, I was inside. Miss Kittrell called. She said, hey, your dog is back. I said, how is... I walked up, picked up the Cocker Spaniel took him to the backyard, and this time I walked the perimeter of our fence seeing maybe there's a place, maybe he's dug himself a hole or something. And so um, couldn't find anything, and, but there was one low spot, so I, I put some things there and said, okay, that's it. A few minutes later, Miss Kittrell called. She said, hey, your dog is back. I walked up there and picked him up again, and so I thought, how is this dog getting out? So instead of going inside the house... I went into our carport and squatted down behind 
the garbage cans to see how he was getting out. And then, then a few minutes later, I heard, ching, 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 ching. Same sounds Mr. Charlie hears at the Silver Star on Friday. <laughs> and so I heard all of it, and I looked around the corner, and that cocker spaniel was climbing the chain link fence. Do, you, do any of you have? They're notorious for climbing. I didn't know that. And so he was climbing his way up the chain link fence. When he got to the top, he balanced himself, jumped off, and started to run. He must have known that I was in the carport because as he rounded the corner of the house, he waved his little paw at me and then ran to freedom. Well, we realized we have to find a way to keep the dog in the backyard, and so we first put some barriers uh, toward the fence to try to keep him from there. That didn't work. We put some netting on the bottom of the fence to try to keep him from climbing. That didn't work. We got an electric fence. That worked. <laughs> but until we got that fence, my brother and I came home from school many days to discover that he had gotten out again and we had to go looking for him. He was not satisfied to stay in that backyard. West Point had a big world to be explored. There were other dogs to run with. There were other yards to explore. And he did not want to stay in the same old yard. Is there anybody in this room today who in terms of your following Jesus is in the same old yard? You can't remember the time that anything new and significant really exploded. You don't have an enthusiasm and an excitement for what God is doing right now. I'm not talking about what he did then, what he's doing right now. Peter in that boat said, I don't want to be here. And part of my taking next steps, part of your taking next steps, is an honest confession to say, God, I don't want to stay here. I want to keep growing. I want to keep moving forward. I don't want to stay here. The second idea that I think is important from this passage is that Peter knew exactly where he wanted to go. There have been plenty of people who wanted to make changes in their lives, who wanted something different, but they've made disastrous choices. There have been times when people said, you know what, I'm just, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated. And so they went through a midlife crisis or they thought maybe an affair or they thought you know, doing something reckless or foolish or irrational was the answer to shake them up out of their boredom. But it wasn't simply that Peter said, I don't want to be here in this boat. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. He said, Jesus, I want to come to where you are. I want to be out there where you are walking. I don't want to simply just get out of the boat. I mean, I could dive over and start swimming back to shore. The issue isn't that I, don't, that I want to be anywhere but here. Lord, I want to be where you are. Where you are walking, that, that's where I want to be. And so the similar principle is true for us. For us to, to say, we want to take our next steps. Wherever you are, Jesus, wherever you are working, wherever you are walking, 
That's where I want to be. Not simply anywhere but here, but Lord, right where you are. Draw me into the kingdom work that you are doing. Draw me into a deeper and more intimate relationship with you. God, help me to know you better than I've ever known you. Help me to be more, more centered on how you are working so that I will be right in the center of it too. Peter wasn't satisfied where he was, but he wasn't just saying anywhere but here. He was saying, Jesus, where you are. That's where I want to be. Several years ago, a friend of mine had some tickets to the Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta. And he called to ask if I wanted to go. And I said, man, I would love to. I, you know, that would be great. The only issue was I, had a, I was speaking out in New Mexico for a ski retreat. And so I said, you know, I, I don't even know if I could, could get back in time. I, I had a Southwest uh, plane ticket. And he said, well, why don't you check and see? He said, you know, I, I will have to drive through Birmingham. If you can, if you can arrange for your flight to land, I mean, get an earlier flight. I was flying out of Birmingham. He said, if you can arrange your flight to land on time, I'll just come by and pick you up at the airport, and we'll go on to Atlanta together. I said, well, okay. And so I was able to get an earlier flight, and it worked out perfectly. My friend came and swooped in, and flight, the flight was even a little bit early. So we started driving to uh, the Chick-fil-A Bowl, Peach Bowl at that time. And so when we arrived in Atlanta, we, our, our fortune was that we were going to be very close to game time arriving because of the flight schedule, which meant that most of the traffic already had arrived and was in place. And so we thought, man, we are just sailing along here. But when we arrived in Atlanta, since the game already or, or was very close to beginning, they already had blocked off some streets headed for after the game. And so we wanted to go here, but we, we couldn't go there. And this road was blocked off, and this road was one way. And so we began weaving our way, trying to find a place to park. And it wasn't very long before we were in a part of Atlanta where we did not want to be after dark. Now, Alan, my friend, was terrified. As he was driving, he looked around, oh, I don't know if we should be here. I don't know. I will protect you. Don't worry about that. There's not a person in Atlanta who can. I mean, there were little three-year-olds under the street lights licking their knives. <laughs> the frustrating part was that we knew where we wanted to be. I mean, we could see the dome as we were driving. We, that, that, let's go here. Oh, we can't go there. We knew exactly where we wanted to be, but we couldn't get there. We didn't know how to get there, which leads me to the third idea. Peter wasn't, wasn't satisfied where he was. He knew where he wanted to be. And then Peter took the first step. Notice the simplicity of Jesus' command here. Verse 29 tells us that Jesus only said one word, come. He did not explain to Peter, Peter, now look, let me, let me 
describe for you the physics of walking on water. Jesus did not say, Peter, get in the back of the boat and you get a running start and you just skid out on top of the water and then your momentum will help you keep going. He did not say, Peter, lightly put one foot over the boat and then lightly put the second foot over the boat. All Jesus said is, Peter, start walking. Take the first step. And once you take the first step, then you'll take the second one and the third and the fourth. One of the simple parts of following Jesus Christ is that all we have to do is take the next step. Sometimes people like to map out and, well, here's how everything is going to work out. And, and, and far down the road, this is what the situation is going to look like. And there are times, perhaps, that God does reveal to us a big picture but what, what I have discovered, for me at least, is that very rarely does God show me the fifth or sixth step until I have taken the first one. God rarely shows us what he wants us to do next until we do what he wants us to do now. And so when we are thinking about, Lord, I'd really like my relationship with you to be deeper and stronger, more intimate than I've ever had. I'd like you to use me more effectively with greater impact than you ever have. Lord, I, I would like for this season of life to be the strongest with you that I've ever experienced. How do I do that, Lord? How do I get there? We take the first step that he shows us. We don't have to know what the second, third, and fourth steps are now. All we have to know is what the next step is. And then when we take that one, the Lord will continue leading us down the pathway. I'm excited about what we're going to do together over the next seven weeks or so. Thinking about the various ways that God would lead us to deeper and stronger walks with Him. And I hope you will join me in saying, God... Whenever you show me a next step, whenever you reveal something to me, I'll be obedient. I will do it. I will take that step and not simply stay in the same old yard, but to keep exploring where you want to lead me by faith. Philip's going to come and lead us in a closing song of commitment today, and I'd like to issue two specific ways that you may want to respond one of those ways is what I mentioned at the very first of the message. The Bible isn't a self-help book. It isn't just a code of morals book. The Bible is a book that describes who God is and who he wants us to be. And the way that we become who he wants us to be is through our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you have questions about how to begin following Jesus. For just a moment when we sing together, I'm going to be right here at the front. And if anybody has questions about how to do that, I would love to talk with you. If there are people who feel like, Gary, I've been in the same old yard for a long time. And I would like you just to pray with me to, to help me know what the next step might be. I would love to do that too, to find